so thankful you're here. The devil is a liar. He tried to hold back spring, didn't he? But God brought it out yesterday, man. That's why I got my chunkless on today. God is good. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, you might be thinking, Pastor, is it appropriate to wear chanclas in church? Let me ask you a question. Every time you saw Jesus in a picture or in a movie, what's he wearing, y'all? <laughs> He's wearing them sandals, amen. Amen. Would you help them make sure we put on the lights in the back as well? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Moving through the book of Matthew, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's so good that you're in the house of God today to learn it with us. This is going to be an amazing chapter because there's so much that I can bring up about what God can do in our lives through this chapter. So i got to take my time and work through it. And I hope that you're reading the Bible with me as we go through it, because if you're just waiting for me to read the Bible to you, you know what that's equivalent to, don't you, Mr. Swartz? That's like how my wife feeds our, our six-month-old. So if you're just waiting to come for me to read the Bible to you, zzz, open wide, here it comes. Come on now. Y'all get offended when I talk to you like that? You, are you reading your Bible? Renee, you reading your Bible? Come on, are you reading your Bible? Cabrella family? Ramos, you got them reading the Bible? Amen, amen. Y'all better be reading the Bible during the week, amen, because you can't, you cannot live by bread alone. You must live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word is spiritual nourishment for you. Take time this week. Read the book of Matthew. I always encourage you with my commute here to the church uh, just to encourage you that I'm also reading and listening to the Bible. I listen to at least 10 chapters just on the way here. One commute, one day, 10 chapters. I've already had my spiritual breakfast, amen. Now I'm going to have some lunch and, or brunch, and then I'll have some lunch later on, and then I'll have second lunch, and, you know, I'm going to feed myself. I'm going to feed myself every day, and I want to encourage you to do it as well because this Bible is the lamp unto your feet. It is a light unto your path. Matthew chapter, six, when, uh, Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus came down to be with us. How many are happy Jesus came down to be with us? Amen. I have to be creative as I go through these uh, chapters to come up with sermon titles. So I hope you see where I got it from. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside. That's a good title for a sermon right there. Amen. You see where I got it from? When Jesus came down. Boy, what was that like after he got done teaching and he said, come on, let's go. Y'all ready? Come on, Yolise, let's go. It's time to get it on. All right, man, Jason, you ready? Let's go. What was that like, Lewis, when Jesus came down and said, come on, Steve, let's go, man. It's time to go. We got things to do. We've got places to be. To be in the business of Jesus is to be in the business of the Father. There's no other business like it. How exciting it must have been when Jesus came down from the mountainside. No wonder large crowds followed him. They had heard him preach it and teach it, and they were amazed, as the verse said there at the end of chapter 7, they were amazed by Jesus' teaching because he didn't teach just like those boring guys in the synagogue. He didn't talk like Father Tom. He didn't talk just like them. He talked as one who had an authority. So when Jesus got down off the mountain, man, they were like, all right, I'm following this guy. 
I'm following him. And immediately, immediately, somebody puts his word to the test. A man with leprosy came and knelt down before him. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You have no idea what leprosy looks like if you haven't seen it in person. I've seen it in person in India. Been there three times. It's hard to look at what it does to the human body. It just disintegrates skin, and it causes your body to literally fall off. You don't lose your finger just because it uh, got cut off. You lose it because it dies off. You watch it wither in front of you until you're, you lose all of your finger, and then you have a nub of a hand. I've watched it, or I've seen what it's done, and I've watched how hard it is then for people to go through life and how it breaks them down. This person just drops right to their knees and says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. My Jesus, not Buddha. Y'all listen to this. Y'all listen right here. It ain't Buddha. It's not Krishna. It's not Muhammad. You listening? It's not the Pope. My Jesus. Somebody say, my Jesus. My Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing. Ooh, I love that Jesus. He is always willing. He said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Immediately, praise God. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the, offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. We ought not to read these stories and get bored with them and have them become numb to us like we're so used to miracle working Jesus. Oh, he's just doing his miracles again. This is the DNA for your life. This is supposed to be you now, because let me just help you real quick. A lot of preachers, when they start reading the stories about Jesus, do you know where they want to put you? Back row back there. Can I talk to the back row? Come on, can I talk to some of y'all right now? The Juarez sisters back there and everybody, can I talk? Do you know where they want to put you, the preacher? They always want to put you as the leper. Oh, you're a leper. You're unclean. And Jesus is passing by. He, he's looking for you. If you'll just fall on your knees and say, if you're willing, Jesus, will you touch me? You see, every time you come to church, back row, Marco and Mike, they want you to be the leper. But that's not why we were told this story. That's not why Matthew is telling us this story. Because Matthew knows the end of the book. Can we go to the end of Matthew real quick? Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Let's go there real quick because Matthew is wanting you to learn something about Jesus. You're supposed to be just like him. You're not supposed to be the one always waiting for a miracle. You're supposed to be the one that can go out and give miracles to people. Our children should grow up in a house of miracles. When you look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and onward, it says, Jesus came down with all authority. He said, I have it. It's been given to me from, from heaven and on earth. I got it all. Then look at the next verse. He says, now you go out and you make disciples of all nations. You do that. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
You see, when we look to the scriptures, we see that God's telling us to do stuff. Go to the book of John, please. Go to John chapter 14, verse 12. Is the gospel of John going to contradict the gospel of Matthew? Nope, John's just reiterating things or sharing things that Matthew did or did not do. Reiteration means he's explaining it in a different way. And a new thing means Matthew didn't talk about it, but John did. Or John talked about it and Matthew didn't. It's not contradiction, it's a confirmation, and it's a surround sound. It's a, it's a complex message. When I listen to the movies, or when I go to the movies and I hear the, the, the sound going on around me, if I hear the grass in the back and then I hear the voices in the front, I don't say, speaker, you're contradicting the scene. I say, no, you're complimenting the scene. The gospels, four gospels are like surround sound. They complement your understanding of Jesus. Look at what he said in John 14, 12. He said, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. How much greater can you get from raising the dead, cleansing lepers? I don't think it's going to be greater in the action because that's about as great as you can get. Okay, walking on water, cleansing lepers, raising the dead. I don't think you can do anything else other than that unless you want to start Pokemon and fire out your hands and out your mouth and all that. Okay, what he's saying is greater in number because there was just one of me going around just this little area. But when I go to the Father, all of y'all are going to have me on the inside of you. And then you will be able to do what I've been doing greater in number. So instead of just one person getting healed, ten people getting healed, and my my lifetime of this, you're going to be able to get out and see thousands of people healed. Go to 1 John, please. 1 John chapter 4. Let's hear how John said it again. 1 John chapter 4 verse 17 gives us a very, let's just go to verse 16 so you guys can see it, gives us a very clear command of who we are supposed to be in the story of the gospel. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says, And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Everybody say, God is love. That's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? That's found in this passage. Now keep going. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. You're not supposed to be going to judgment day scared. You're supposed to go there confident because that's your reward day. Just like if they call you in for a review on your job, you're not supposed to go there scared. You're supposed to be like, okay, is the promotion coming? Okay, am I getting that raise now? Because I know I've been working. If y'all scared to go see the boss, what you been doing? Hello, what you been doing if you scared to see the boss? You afraid you're going to get caught? I'm not afraid to see the boss because I know I've been doing the right thing. You'll have confidence on the day of judgment. And then the Bible says this phrase, which will change the way you look at every single gospel story. In this world, we are like Jesus. Ain't nobody like Jesus. Well, first of all, you're not like Jesus. Let's just get that clear. But I'm like Jesus. I'm like, you want to see what Jesus is like? Look at me. You want to see what Jesus is like? Look in the mirror if you're a Christian. And if you say, oh, man, that's not right, that's not right, nobody's perfect like Jesus. Jesus died so I could be perfect like him. Jesus died so I could be born again like him. Do I always act like him? No, that's the times I have to repent. I'm repenting for not acting like him. But in this world, I'm like Jesus. In this world, you're supposed to be like Jesus. Who else are you going to be like? Who else are you going to be like? You all want to be like Beyonce wearing your underwear on stage and shaking what your mama gave you? Is that what you want to be like? That's what she does, doesn't she? She wears underwear on stage. Y'all upset I'm talking about Beyonce now. 
Y'all want to be like that? You want to be like these rich, powerful businessmen that lie, steal, cheat, and then they abuse their wives and, you know, take advantage? Men, is that what you want to be like? Come on. Be like Jesus. Now, can you be like Jesus and be rich? Yes, you can. Can you be like Jesus and have a nice car? Absolutely. You can be like Jesus and live in this world and be successful and prosperous. But do not be like the devil and then call yourself a Christian. And then point to your worldly, your worldly things and your carnal accolades to think you got something. I'm not impressed with that. Bill Gates does not impress me. I'm, I'm happy for what he's done. I don't know computers like him. I'm thankful for social media. I'm thankful for Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. I'm thankful for real estate developers, developers and all that. But they don't impress me like Jesus does. No matter how much stuff they have, they don't take my focus off what the real, the real prize is here. The real prize is to be like Jesus. Now let's go back to the story of Matthew chapter 8. You ready for this? Because as we now go through, this is big. Y'all got to get this. I wish I could have this whole room full of pastors today and help them to re-preach how they preach through the Gospels. Because here's the way I want you to see it now. Unless you are physically sick... This is not you. Okay. If you're not physically sick, you're not the leper in the story anymore. You know who you are in the story? Jesus. You're supposed to go pray for the leper now. You're supposed to go to the nursing home now. You are now supposed to pray for your neighbor instead of just saying, God bless you. Now can I pray for you? Hello? Well, hachu, God bless you. Now you did your Christian work for the day. What you doing? Being all superstitious. You throw salt over your shoulder too? Come on, somebody. They used to do that in the Middle Ages and all that because they thought when you sneeze, your soul could go out through your nose. That's cool if you want to do it. I mean, it's better than saying God curse you. But, you know, let's, let's grow up spiritually. Let's grow up. When I sneeze and somebody say, God bless you, I say, I was blessed before I sneeze and I'm blessed after I sneeze. Can I tell you how I got blessed? Do that on the bus and see what people say. Well, you believed in God enough then to tell me God bless you. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you how to live for him now. Let me tell you how to be a blessed person. Amen. Blessed is he who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of the sinner, or sit in the seat of the mocker, but their delight is on the law of the Lord. And on their law do they meditate day and night. Hallelujah. They act a tree, like a tree planted by the streams of water. Which yield its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither. Whatever they do shall prosper. That's what the blessed man's like, Psalm chapter 1. Amen. So I do want to give encouragement to all of us when we're sick. We can come to Jesus. We can come to Jesus and ask him that question. Are you willing to heal me, Jesus? And Jesus is always willing. Now the question is, why don't we see everybody healed? Because we don't bat 100 like Jesus did. Or 1,000 rather. Jesus batted 1,000. He had 100%. I want, you know, every hundred people he prayed for, all hundred got healed. But here's what I'm never going to do. I'm never going to blame your faith, and I'm never going to take the responsibility off me to keep praying for you. So as long as you're sick, I'll keep praying. Can you keep coming up so I can believe God for your healing? If you say, Pastor, it takes too much time and effort for me to let you pray for me at this church, I'll just keep taking my medicine and thank God that way, that's fine. But as often as you want to be prayed for in this church, in our Bible studies, in our one-on-one meetings, we will pray for you to be healed. Now, you might say, Pastor, you wear glasses and all those things. I pray all the time for healing for my eyesight, and I'll keep praying. But I am not going to put my sickness, the issues that I have, because Adam and Eve sinned and cursed this world on the willingness of my Father through Jesus to heal. He's already told us he's willing. 
He, he never met a sick person. He said, I'm going to let you stay sick so my father can teach you more lessons about life. We can learn lessons about life through our sickness. God uses things in life like sickness to help us understand his plan for our life. But God is not the author of sickness, and he is always willing to heal sickness. So just get it over in your mind. My father loves to heal, and I can come to him and ask him for healing. And once again, somebody may say, well, why don't we get healed? Well, it's going to come down to how we're praying, our faith, your faith, all of that. But I'm not here to blame that. I'm just here to do it until it happens. And if you die sick, then I'll see you in heaven, okay? And if, when I die sick, I'll, I'll, I'll see you in heaven. We'll talk about it and figure out why we died sick. But what I'm never going to do is say my Jesus is not willing. Okay, my aunt was dying of cancer in the hospice, and the entire time she was there, she said, God's my healer, I am healed, this cancer can't stop me. One day she breathed her last breath, and I always tell the story like this, she was saying all the time, I'm healed, I'm healed, and I'm sure at her last breath she was saying, I'm healed, and then she saw herself in heaven, the father looked at her and said, that's right, you're healed. Because that reality is greater than this reality, and she's going to be healed forever. So you could take it however you want. We do discussions further on healing and things like this, but it is a doctrine. It is a doctrine of our church that healing is for all at all times. Amen? So we believe in that, and I've gotten in trouble with other pastors about that. Matter of fact, the pastor I used to work for, he got upset with me that I believed that because, you know, he couldn't have a child. And, and he was saying, well, are you blaming me and all that? I said, listen, I'm not blaming you, but I, one thing I'm not going to do is blame him. You see, we, we, we can work it out down here theologically. Where's your faith? Where's my faith? How does it work? And all I get that. But I'm never putting it up to him and say, well, it was just God's will for you not to have children, for God's will for this man to have leprosy, or it's just God's will for you to be, you know, in a wheelchair and all that. I don't believe that. I believe God has a permissive will that he has allowed since Adam and Eve have sinned. And so we live in a cursed world. That doesn't mean sick people are cursed because they did individual actions. To have that, Jesus was very clear when they asked him, why, when, when one person was sick, they said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And he said, neither. This is for God's glory to be revealed. So for me wearing glasses to a person being in a wheelchair or for a woman not being able to have children, all of that has come down and children dying and, you know, horrible deaths of cancer and all that, that has all come from the curse. That is not the will of God. This is the will of God. Do you want to see what the will of God looks like? Look at my Jesus because he said, I am willing. And you can read in some translation, it's almost like Jesus gets a little bit sassy. It's like, what? I'm always willing it's like, what are you talking about? Of course I'm willing. What do you think I came from heaven and earth to do? And this is the beautiful thing we're going to see is that sickness represents the kingdom of God coming. Uh, healing of sickness, rather, represents the kingdom of God coming because sickness came from the kingdom of darkness invading the earth. That's why Jesus has it a part of the plan. Part of the plan is that we get physical healing, emotional healing, and spiritual healing. And I talk to people, and I say, well, how often does God spiritually want to heal you? And they're like, well, all the time. How, how often does God want to emotionally heal you? All the time. How often does God want to physically heal you? It depends. No, it doesn't. Just keep the always going there. How often does God spiritually want to heal you? Always. How often does God emotionally want to heal you? Always. How often does he physically want to heal you? Always. We'll figure out why it didn't always happen when we get up there, but it's not ever going to be on him. So let us look at these stories in two ways, two ways. Number one, 
Whenever we read these stories, we see the heart of the Father coming through Jesus and that he loves to heal. He loves to deliver. So if you are ever sick, if you are ever traumatized in life, if you are ever afflicted in life, read Isaiah 53 again, the prophecy that came 600 years before Jesus. And see, he came to take your sins, your sorrows, and your sicknesses. Know that's for real. It never goes away. And then number two, if you're not sick, you're Jesus in this story, bringing that healing to others. And I've even heard of those who are sick in one way, but then keep praying because the Bible tells us to pray, and they see miracles in other people's life while they're waiting for their miracle. And to go back to my aunt, when I walked into the hospice as my aunt's dying, you know the first thing she told me? The very first thing she told me was, I've been praying for you. I said, what have you been praying for me about? She said, oh, I've been praying that Nancy's ankle gets better because she had heard we were in a car accident. So my aunt, who was dying of cancer, was praying for healing in my wife's ankle. That's how we live. Amen? Amen. So let's now go on to the next story. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, which is one of the places he's going to spend a lot of time, a centurion, that's a leader in the Roman army, came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go when he goes, and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Wow, isn't that amazing? When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. What I love about my Jesus is that he loved all nations. The centurion is not an Israelite. He's more than likely an Italian. He's a Roman citizen that has been even probably in his own life or through his history violent and mean to the Jewish people. Yet he has enough humility to come to this peasant Jewish third world leader and ask for healing for someone that he dearly loves. And Jesus is so kind to him and says, I'll come. You want me to come? I'll come. And then the man blows Jesus' mind. Because remember, God coming to earth, he's experiencing life like us. He limits his ability to know everything. He limits his power to be able to, you know, stop everything. He only uses it as the Father allows him to. So he's just like us in the sense of he don't know the centurion. He don't know the next words coming out of the centurion's mouth. And so he is genuinely surprised when he hears what comes out of this man's mouth, which is in comparison greater than he's been getting from his own people. And the centurion's great faith was simply this. If God said it, I believe it. Just come on, somebody. We got to go back to some of the basics, don't we? The centurion had such a basic, fundamental faith, but it was powerful. It was, God, if you say it, I'll believe it. 
I, I know who you are. I know what you can do. You don't have to travel through space and time to show up at my house, knock on the door, talk to my servant. You created all of this. Just say it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let there be light. Boom. Just say it like you did back then. Just say it because I believe it. I believe there's power when you say it. And Jesus is blown away. He's like, I haven't seen any of y'all. He looks around. I haven't seen any of y'all act like this. You think you're getting in because you're Jewish? You think you're getting in because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are your physical ancestors? Man, a lot of y'all going to get pushed out the kingdom. And these guys, these Italians, these other nations, they're going to be running into the kingdom of God. I love it how he brings up judgment right there. Just to remind us, there's a kingdom coming. There is a feast coming. There is a, a party with God's people. And then it inaugurates the, the thousand-year reign we have upon the earth. We will rule and reign. And the Bible says a lot of people are not going to get in, even those who think they were supposed to get in. But people like the most unlikely, like a centurion who was probably about fighting wars and conquering in Rome's name, God is like, these people coming in. So you better be careful about how you judge people. Number one, that's a lesson there. And then number two, we better have that basic faith. If God says it, I believe it. Speak the word, God. Say it and let it be so and let us trust him. Amen? Amen. Oh, we could probably get a third thing out of here, which is it's wonderful to intercede on other people's behalf. That's a good thing. Glad I didn't forget about that. Thanks, Holy Ghost. Because it's not even the, the servant asking for the help. It's somebody asking on behalf of them. It's like, Lord, I pray for Huey and his, and his fiance to have a healthy baby. And then when it comes through, you're like, thank you, Jesus. You did it again. We can pray for each other. We can go to the throne of God on behalf of somebody else and then and they get the benefit. Aren't you glad somebody prayed for you? Is anybody here a result of a prayer going forward that you didn't pray? Has anybody here experienced a blessing that somebody else prayed for you? Amen. Amen, amen. I thank God for that. Let's keep going. I love Matthew because he's got to kind of sometimes put in here a, you know, a story that maybe we can relate to and laugh at a little bit. It says, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. You see right here, this shows me that God is full of love because Jesus healed a mother-in-law. This shows, I know I shouldn't have said it, but it took you all a little bit on that. But this shows you that my Jesus is so full of love that he healed a mother-in-law, y'all. He healed a mother-in-law. Woo, my Jesus loves somebody. Come on. My Jesus can love anybody. He healed a mother-in-law. But I love that it says, then she began to get up and wait on him. You can see this one of two ways. Like Jesus came inside and maybe he was expecting things to get done and it wasn't getting done. Oh, she's sick. She's hiding in the room. No, she's healed. Tell her to come out that room. <laughs> it could have been like that. No, some of y'all don't want to see Jesus being like that. It could have been like that or it could have just been like, oh, I feel so sorry for you. Get up. But a fever maybe not had been unto death. Maybe it was just she wasn't feeling well. Or maybe it could have been a serious fever, like the typhoid fever. Who knows? But it, it says that she began to get up and wait on him. And so it shows us that whatever God does in us, it's supposed to go through us back to him and back to the world he created. 
We're not just supposed to take our healing and just go run off and do whatever we want in life. Once I'm healed, I'm supposed to wait on him. Once God does something great in your life, you're supposed to say, how may I now serve you? You know, every service I think about those who could have been here, should have been here. Even as we're growing as a church, there's still opportunities for more people to be here. But as I see them throughout the week, oh, man, why weren't you here? What, what's going on? They tell me about all the busyness things of their life, you know. Oh, I'm going to school now. Joe, I got homework, and it's hard for me to come on Sundays. And I'm like, you foolish thing, you. God healed you, gave you a mind, sanctified you, took you off drugs, changed your life, took you from spreading your legs to every dude walking down the road, and and took you away from, you know, putting your thing in every woman that winked at you. Come on, somebody. And then now you're going to tell me you're too busy for church. After he's healed you, after he set you free, after he purified you, now you're too busy to wait on him. I wonder what it was like to be Peter's mother-in-law to get touched by the master. I don't know about you, but I would, be, I would be happy to serve that man. I would be happy to pull out the pot and make some arroz con candules. I would be happy to get him something to drink. I don't know about you, but I've been through enough to know that once I've been healed, once I've been changed, this is the best thing I can do in life. And those who serve Jesus are leaders in this world. So once we serve our Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to lead other people. But I don't want to follow anybody that hasn't served and waited on Jesus. Amen? Because those are the real leaders that we need in the house of God and in this world are those who know how to serve Jesus. Verse 16, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was written through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. And that was that prophecy that I was telling you about in Isaiah chapter 53, Matthew quoting the prophets. A couple things we need to know theologically here is that you notice that spirits, demon possessing people and healing were separate. There are only a few connections or a few uh, times in the Bible where there was a connection to a spirit and a sickness. That means you can be sick without being demon possessed. I know that should be obvious to us reading the Bible, but a lot of people miss that. Or I shouldn't say a lot of people. There's some people who miss that and make a lot of trouble and try to say every time you're sick you have a demon. That's not true. I don't have a demon prohibiting me to see 2020. Okay? So let's not put everything on demons, even those who have mental illness. Okay? Not everything is a demon. Let's stop giving the devil all this credit and becoming superstitious. We're under a curse in a physical world, and then we're, our bodies are under that curse too because it's a physical body. So there's not a demon making grass turn brown to kill it. And it's, you know, there's not a demon in a weed. Well, it's no different if your genes don't work right. If there's a cancer, something going wrong in your body, it's not a demon. There are a few occasions where the Bible says those who were, like we're going to get to in this story, demon-possessed, doing things that mentally ill people may seem like they're the same, but it wasn't. One is a sickness of the mind that needs a physical healing. Another one is a spiritual oppression. They may look like they're experiencing the same thing, but their root is different. And there is another time where the Bible says a woman was bent over by a spirit and she needed to be loosed. And there's other times where he says a spirit of deaf and dumbness or something that blinded the eyes and took away the ability to hear that was from a spirit. But that is rare. He doesn't treat everyone that is sick as they're demon-possessed. 
Now, how do we know the difference? The Bible says there's a gift. Guess what? There's a spiritual gift that helps us. It's called discerning of spirits. So that when you're praying for someone, you can have the discernment to, to see, is there a demon activity? Is there a demon there with its activity? And here's how demons go. They go in Jesus' name, okay? So a demon is not going to be medicated out. So if we're going to stick with it and go, you have a demon, then there, be, there will be no medication that can help that person. If medication is helping and resolving it, we know for a fact it's not a demon. So those of us who have beliefs in demons and spirits and all of that, these are fallen angels that can afflict people. Most of the time, the kind of affliction they're doing is driving them crazy having them be personally under bondage. And there can be degrees of that. But let us not put everyone that is sick in the category of demon-possessed. Let us have enough, human, enough respect for the human uh, dignity that we don't do that. Amen? Amen. And then the next thing that we see here is that the prophet Isaiah was speaking forward towards this time, and now Matthew is making sure we understand that time has now come. So remember, the prophets looked forward to, our, to a healing Messiah, a delivering Messiah. Now we look back, okay? And so if we look at the cross, Jesus is in the center, reaching to the Old Testament and then reaching forward to the future, okay? And so we see that Jesus is the center of the new... Uh, the old and the new covenant. Now let's go on to our next uh, story here. The Bible says in verse 18, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Now notice this is where it starts to get real. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now if you want to understand Metro Praise International, you better clue into these kind of verses right here. What do you think? And I wish there was a way we could just hide Jesus' response. What do you think Jesus says to somebody that says to him, I want to join your church? How do I do that? Does Jesus say, hey, just do this, this, and this? It's super easy. Does Jesus say, hey, man, it doesn't matter how you live. It's just everybody here can come along and do their own thing. Welcome home. Is that what Jesus says? No, Jesus says, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Why does he do that? Because he knows who he's talking to. Teacher of the law, probably lives in a nice house, has a lot of notoriety. This would be similar to me like talking to a mega church pastor. Like, man, Joe, I want to do discipleship like you. You want to do discipleship like me? Well, discipleship churches most of the time don't have mega buildings, don't have mega budgets, mega conferences, and number one best-selling books. You still want to serve that, Jesus? You still want to be a disciple-making church? Not saying we can't do it and have those things in some ways, right? But the idea is if you really want to do it right, let's say Willow Creek. Willow Creek says, Joe, I want to do discipleship. They call me up, right? I want to do discipleship. Okay, you ready to lose 20,000 people? You ready to offend the biggest givers in your church? You ready to lose a lot of your influence with the mayor and all these people that call you their buddy and the CEOs? Are you ready for that? It's worth it. But are you ready for it? Because how many know, I'd rather sleep on a mountainside with Jesus, hallelujah, than dwell in the tents of the wicked. How many of y'all know I'd rather be in a hole with my Jesus? Come on, I'd rather be like a fox with my Jesus than anywhere else with this world. It's worth it, but you're going to give up stuff. That's all he was telling them. But I love it because you can summarize it as this, and we'll hear it later on in Jesus' parables and stories. you got to count the cost. 
He's laying out what it's going to be like for you because Jesus is not trying to do a bait and switch. He is not coming down like the Pied Piper and just calling you to follow him just haphazardly. He understands what it's going to take for you to want to be a disciple. He knows his purpose is to die on the cross, and he knows you're going to probably end up dying too in this context. They're going to get martyred. A lot of these boys are going to lose their life in men and women. Now look at verse 21. Another disciple said to him, that's somebody that's already committed to the cause, said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. I've told the story oftentimes here before. The child that was born in the family to a good father, the responsibility was to bury that father. More than likely, this is the oldest son. The oldest son was going to take the responsibilities now of the father in the house. So the funeral preparation and honoring his father that way was just the first step and now becoming the lord of the manor, now becoming the boss of all that they were doing in that agricultural society or in their business or whatever they were doing. It was normally handed down from fathers to sons. And so the son now is given all of this responsibility, starting with the most obvious, bury dad. Let's bury dad. And Jesus is saying to them, where you're going to go, there's going to be one physical person and a bunch of spiritually, a one physically dead person and a bunch of spiritually dead people. Let them take care of that because they're all dead anyways. You come follow me. Now, does this mean it's wrong to go to funerals? Absolutely not. But there should be no funeral. There should be nothing in life more important than putting Jesus first. Because there is nothing in this life that can give life like Jesus. So whatever you think you're going to substitute Jesus with, it's never going to matter. It's never going to count. And then here's the thing. We have to get here. The priority, the order matters. Jesus first, then job. Jesus first, then family. Jesus first, then doing your laundry. But it's always going to be Jesus first. You will never find a time where Jesus says, it's okay to sometimes, every now and then, put something above me. As long as it's finals week, as long as it's finals and you're, you're starting really hard, then you don't have to really go to church and go hard for me. You know, or, or, you know, if there's a loss in your family, we understand if you want to take a month off from church. Some of y'all go through that stuff, and I'm just telling you, I don't know what Jesus you serve. Come on, somebody. Bring me to church the day I lose my mother or father, and let me kneel at this altar and find the Jesus who was with me as an 18-year-old is with me now as a man losing my mom and dad. Dear God, friends, what Jesus do you serve? i got to take time. I've lost my dad. I can't come to church. I've lost my mom. Oh, what Jesus do you serve? <sighs> Bring me to this altar. My dad just turned 73 this week, so I'm really touched by my mom's 76. Bring me to this altar and let me see my Jesus do what only Jesus can do. Don't you let me become a recluse. Don't you let me try to figure it out on my own. And I got a godly family too. But a lot of people are like, I'm going to be with my family. Be, like they're going to all sit around and pray 24 hours a day. No, be with your family means drink a beer, sit on the couch, dude, and put your hand down your pants. I'm going to go be with them. That's what you're talking about. Stop wasting time. I'm with my family. We had a funeral. I couldn't come to church on Sunday. 
God have mercy. You lead them. I even tell people in this church, well, we got to do the burial on Sunday. You tell them Sunday at 1 o'clock after you've been to church. And you invite the entire family. Hey, our pastor will pray for all of us. We all miss grandma. We all miss mom. We all miss little Bobby. But pastor going to pray for us. Teach us that God's kingdom outlasts this world. And I'm not saying funerals are easy. We've all been to them. We know how hurtful they can be. But Jesus is teaching us a principle. If you don't have me, you are dead on the inside. I need this. This sets me free. Because sometimes people think, well, the pastor's real easy to go hard for God. No, it's not. Not in that sense. All of us have emotions that are deceiving, friends. This little thing I just did, that's not an act. I am telling you, when the thought crossed my mind, what it's going to be like, how it was for Ricky when he buried his mother, I am telling you, it's going to hurt like something I've never felt before. I know it is. I know it. And I'm telling you, in that day, you come bring me from my house, and you bend my knees, and you push down my shoulders, and you lay me beside the quiet waters, my brother. You bring me close to Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do for each other. Jesus was telling this person, don't let your emotions deceive you. It's all dead out there. You cry in more tears with your family. It's not going to take your pain away. You start stepping with me, and I'll put a pep in your step. I'll give you a joy that this world has never known. It's not that you're going to dishonor your father's memory. It's not that you're going to say your father wasn't important. It's just that you're going to say there's a father in heaven that's worth it all. And I know a lot of times we talk to each other like this, you know, well, if you want to see me in heaven, little Johnny, you know, the parent talking to their child, you better live for Jesus. And that's cool because we're telling them, you know, it's important to go to heaven because we all go and be there. But don't go to heaven just to see me. Don't go to heaven just for me up there. Don't go to heaven just because you're going to be depressed or whatever. No, you go to heaven because you want to see Jesus. Because that's what that man had to decide right there. Is Jesus the one he wants to be with? Because that's who he's going to be with all eternity. Do you get it? So Jesus was worth giving up a funeral for. Amen. I love that Jesus. I love that Jesus. Let's keep going. The Bible teaches us that Jesus goes on now. And he then goes into a boat because remember he said he's going to pass to the other side. Verse 23. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Just love that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I just love Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. That is what all of us look like going through the problems of this life, coming to Jesus. Help. (laughs) Look what Jesus said. You of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Jesus, I spent all my tax money, and now I don't have any money. I can't afford the car payment I got with that tax money. Then he got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and all was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? That's another great title of a sermon. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey. Obey him. Now, of course, this is good preaching. You can make this your life situation. You can call this the storms of life, and Jesus calms them. That's okay, right? I just want you to be careful with calling yourself a leper all the time, all right? And uh, making these stories always about your sickness. But it's okay for us as Christians to look at this as an example of life. But let's just take it literally first. 
they're on a boat in the middle of Lake Michigan, something large like that. Not like a lake you go water skiing and you know, hang out with your friends and there's a lot of houses around it. A lake that's basically like a mini little ocean, you know. And the waves get crazy. And, and remember, these guys mostly were fishermen. Like I've said to you before, this is the equivalent of you being on a plane and the, the hostess or the steward, what do they call them? The uh, stewardess, thank you, flight attendants. Those are the new words we're using now. Custodian instead of janitor, right? I'm keeping up with all of these things. So the flight attendant gets scared. So if you're on a plane and the turbulence happens and the flight attendant's walking around and everything's cool, you stay cool. If the flight attendant's face turns white, she buckles in all nervous, then start praying, get ready to meet Jesus, right? So these are fishermen. These guys are scared. These guys made a living on the water, and they're like, dude, this is serious. We're, we're dying today, guys. And Jesus gets up and does this awesome miracle. A lot of things we can take from this. Number one, God can give you peace in the midst of storms. Because remember, Jesus wasn't going to get up ever unless they got him up. So a lot of times in the midst of your storms, God wants to give you peace to go through it peace like Jesus. Because a lot of us are thinking for us to go through it, God has to change everything. And oftentimes God is saying, no, I just want to give you the peace like I gave my son. When everybody else is freaking out, I want you to be at peace and be sleeping. The next thing that we do see is that if we're not going to be like Jesus at peace and we're going to put ourselves in the other scenario and we're going to come to Jesus, let's come to Jesus with a little bit of faith. Okay, not just freaking out, but Jesus still loves us when we freak out. But just remember, if you freak out, you're going to get corrected over that. Just think about this. Did they have a reason to freak out? Yes, the reason was we're about ready to die. That's a legitimate reason. But biblically, did they have a reason to freak out? No, because the creator of the universe is with you. We're supposed to have faith to understand God is ultimately always in control. And I know there may be circumstances that we can go, oh my goodness, God totally understands if I freak out in this thing. And God is going, I understand, but I'm still rebuking you. There's never a time for us to freak out and think like God is saying that's good behavior. God can take our freak outs, but we're supposed to learn from them. We're not supposed to be little of faith. Have I been little of faith? Of course I have. I mean, have you? Yes. But the point is, let's stop being little of faith. And the next thing is that Jesus calms the sea. He speaks to winds and waves and calms the entire environment. Our Jesus is God. Our Jesus is God. That, that's what this is supposed to tell you, is that the one who set it in order at the beginning is setting it in order now, and it's giving us a taste of the kingdom to come. A thousand-year reigns. Jesus will be our meteorologist. He'll just publish the weather on the app today. This is what I want us to have, guys. The earth, this is greenhouse. He just sets the temperature, tells the lights where to go, the sun, you know. And so we get the understanding here. Jesus is bigger than anything we can imagine. What kind of man is this? To answer the question, he's the God man. He's God who came in the flesh. Powerful. Let's go to verse 28 in closing. If you have children in the back, please go ahead and get them. And Adam, would you come, please? When he arrived at the other side in the region of Gardeneris, two demon-possessed men, two demon-possessed men rather, came from the tombs to meet him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? A couple things here to note. Number one, if you are familiar with the gospel stories, Mark and Luke only say there's one. 
People who are a little sassy want to come to you and be like, see, the Bible contradicts itself. Was it one or was there two? What's the simple solution, folks? If there's two, there was one, okay? It's just Mark and Luke want to talk about the main one. How many know if we're all hanging out in a group, not everybody's talking at the same time? Normally, the one who talks is the one you'll say, I saw Mike and then so-and-so, or I saw Mike in the group, or you might just say, I saw Mike. Why? Because Mike was talking for the group. Let's say you go to Boricua Fest, I saw Mike. That doesn't mean Mike didn't have 10 people around him. Are you guys tracking with me? It just means you knew Mike, and Mike was the one that was talking. Or you could say, I saw Mike and some folks, and you may not name all their names. All of those are complementary, no contradiction. I saw Mike. Was Mike all by himself? Well, someone could ask that. Was he all, well, no, Mike was with other people. You know, well, I saw Mike and some other folks. How many other folks? Who was all there? Let's not put into an ancient document this kind of preciseness that we don't even use today. Like, we are expecting them literally every, it's still perfect, but we're expecting them to say every detail that we would question. The simple solution is the best solution. There were two, and one is speaking for them in Mark and Luke. That's why he is addressed. So there's two demon-possessed men. They were violent. Nobody could pass by. So this is what I was talking about, that demon possession here may look like schizophrenia, or it may look like uh, people having nervous breakdowns and so forth. But here, here's the simple solution, and I've prayed for people in both situations. I've prayed for uncontrollable, demon-possessed people, uh, homeless people generally are like this, like people on the outskirts. I've prayed for them. And saying in Jesus' name with the authority and power of the Holy Spirit sets them free. They come into their right mind. I've even brought some into my house. When we've had people in this church that have had schizophrenia or have had bipolar disorder or have heard voices because things not going right in their mind and different things, when we say be set free in Jesus' name, when we pray for them, there's no deliverance. They go home and they still feel that way. That's an easy sign to us that it's in the physical body. And just like I wouldn't call myself demon-possessed because I still need glasses, I don't call them demon-possessed. Do you get it? Not all mental illnesses are demon-possession. So let's just say that uh, here so we can make sure we understand the story. This is literal demon-possession, which I still believe in. Remember, like I say during Halloween time, what people are spending their money to dress up as and spending their money to go see, I cast out for free, okay, in Jesus' name. So what you're dressing up as is what we cast out for free, okay? And all these movies that you see where there's such a struggle between the evil, and no, no, it don't work like that. If you see the videos when we've cast out demons, they go quite quickly in Jesus' name. So they were violent so that no one could pass by. What do you want with us, Son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them was a large herd of pigs. They were feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, at least send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they went out into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. And all those who loved Lechon went Oh, such a waste of bacon right there, right? We'll talk about that in just a second. And then it says, those tending the pigs ran off and went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Everybody give me your attention. Some powerful lessons we got to catch here. Number one, Jesus used the pigs as an illustration 
of deliverance, setting you free from what is unclean. The Jewish people looked at pigs because they were a lesson to them of uncleanness. So they looked at them as sinful and they were forbidden to eat them. When he casts out the demons, they're going to their death to show that God overcomes evil. He overcomes sickness. He overcomes that which is unclean. Some people ask the question, why does he even care what the demons do? Why not spare the animals and just send the demons to hell or something like that? What he's showing them is that he has power and control over the demons. If the demons just would have disappeared, there wouldn't have been a lasting sign. He wanted a lasting sign. These were real demons afflicting these people. They went into those pigs, and that's why they act crazy. So it was like a sign within a sign. Does everybody get that? Now, what's the most important part here? Jesus has compassion on these men. Even crazy demon-possessed people, our master, our savior, has time to be with. But now watch. Who's the ones... Who are the people that kick him out of the town? The demon-possessed ones or the religious ones who lost their pigs? That's a powerful illustration. Remember we started the sermon, when Jesus came down. When Jesus came down, the first thing we see in chapter 8 is a man coming to Jesus saying, Are you willing to heal me? And Jesus says, I'm willing. What do we see here at the last part of the chapter? People saying, You've come, but we're not willing. I hope you get that. The man came to Jesus and asked, Are you willing? Jesus comes to them and they say, We're not willing. We don't want you, Jesus. I want you all to get this because this is a picture of the 21st century culture right here. It doesn't matter how many demon-possessed people that we see delivered in this church and bring them back to their families, their jobs, their communities, in their right mind. The people are always upset that they're not with the pigs anymore. The demon-possessed person was cool with them as long as they were with the pigs. Now that the demon-possessed person's in their right mind, the pigs are more valuable to them. When we show them Sadia, who used to be a lesbian, but now she's a Christian, they are not cool with that because Sadia has left her lesbianism. They want Sadia with her lesbianism. They want the demon-possessed person with the pigs. Do you see that? The Bible teaches us that not everybody wants the miracles of Jesus because the miracles of Jesus come with a deliverance from an old life. So wherever these pigs were, they were around this man. They were probably in the same region. And so when they looked at the pigs, they equated it with the man or these two men. And Jesus, for that sign, destroys the pigs and says, this region is now changed because these two men are in their right minds. And they say, that's not what we want. We want to keep doing things the way they are, even, watch this, even if that means these men stay demon-possessed. I have talked to many in this church where they have told me, my parents have said, we would rather you be gay, we would rather you be doing anything you're doing than to be a Christian. We would rather you continually to party, go to abortion clinics, get rid of the baby. We would rather have you be with Cousin Flacco here doing all this than to be a Christian. Why is that? Because they would rather have you be with the pigs than to be with Jesus. What's beautiful about this story is that Jesus doesn't care what they think. That's what I love about this. Jesus don't care what your family thinks either. 
Jesus doesn't care what your community thinks. Jesus, honestly, look at me, everybody. I love you. I love you, but I don't care what you think either. I don't care what we're going to do, not out of force, but what we're going to do is bring the kingdom of God here and cast out demons and change the world. Jesus had the authority to go off and kill animals. I'm not Jesus, so I'm not going to do that. But I do have the power and authority, Jesus says, to go and to preach and to see lives changed. And if they don't like it, that's all right. If you don't want me in your area and region, the Bible says there's a time when we're supposed to walk away and go to somebody else's region. But it doesn't mean that we didn't love you. It was just you didn't want us here. I think about Hollywood right now. Hollywood would rather make movies about incest than to have Christian movies. When Christian movies come out like unplanned about the girl getting abortion, Twitter shut down their page, those haters. They do everything they can because they say, we would rather have pigs here than to have you here in your right mind. So you are in a battle, a cultural battle, not against flesh and blood, but against these spirits that are influencing people. And so I want to ask you a question, church. When Jesus comes to you, what are you going to do? Are you going to go with him on this journey and lose some regions, some places to hang out, lose some lechon? Are you willing to give up some stuff for Jesus? Are you willing to give up where you lay your head? Are you willing to give up your father's funeral? Because if you're willing, like he's willing to heal, if you're willing to follow him, you and I will see things no eye has ever seen. We will see things no one has ever imagined. What God has, the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has been planned in store for those who serve him. There's a plan and a purpose for our lives that is greater than funerals, greater than pigs, greater than anything we have ever seen. And I'm willing to go all the way with them. Are you? Amen. Let's stand to our feet and give it up for Jesus today. Come on. Let's give it up for Jesus. If Jesus was willing to leave heaven to be with us, we should be willing to leave everything to be with him. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? We'll get ready to start transitioning now from first to second. Lord, we ask you to search our hearts and see if there's anything holding us back from you. If you were willing to leave everything to come down to be with us, we're willing to leave everything to be with you. Show us, Lord, is there anything in our hearts that holds us back? If you're new here and you haven't accepted Christ into your life to be the Lord of your life, just say, Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. He will change you right now. And if you need help to pray, you can come up even as I'm praying with some of these prayer workers. We'll formally dismiss in just a moment. But I want to search my heart. Is a funeral more important or is my God more important? Is houses and land more important or is following Jesus more important? Search your heart, saints, especially if you've been serving God for a while. Have things snuck in to take away your focus. Those who are coming up for prayer, come on, don't be shy. We'll pray with you as I keep praying. But search your heart, saints. Search your heart today. What about losing things like pigs? Are you willing to lose things like that? What if God said, give up your car? What if God said, you know what, I don't want you to hang out with your friends? What if God said, I want you to change your major in school? What if God said, I want you to dedicate more time to the church or to helping others? What is any of the distractions compared to that? The Bible says it's just like pigs. 
I'll give up anything for Jesus. That doesn't mean we become irresponsible. It doesn't mean we don't care about people. I'm just saying, saints, are you willing to put God first, whatever the cost? Few moments, few moments. If you need prayer or any help with that, come on down. And then if you're sick today in your body or you feel afflicted by evil spirits, we would love to pray with you. We love praying for those who are sick in their body. We love praying for those who are afflicted with nightmares or things that you feel are demonic or thoughts coming into your mind that seem to be so random and out of place. Maybe you are being afflicted by an evil spirit today. It can happen, trust me. We'll pray for you in love. A few moments, a few moments before we formally dismiss. Second service folks can begin to start making their way in. Lord, we love you, we love you. We ask you, God, we ask you, God, to heal, to set free, to save. I know you are willing, so I come and ask you, I know you are willing. How many know God is willing today? 30 more seconds before we close out this service. Said, I'm always willing. I am always willing. I'm willing to heal. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to give you a hope and a future. I'm willing to give you a right mind today. That's what Jesus says. Yes, Lord. Let's sing over the mountains and over the seas. Over the mountains and the seas. Your river runs with love for me, and I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free. I'm happy to be in the truth, and I will daily lift my hands, for I will always sing when your love came. Come on, let's sing this out before we dismiss saints. Second service, folks, you can start coming in.